Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, church. Um, so we've, Pastor Rob has mentioned this a few times already, um, but for those of you who don't know, I will be starting a three-month sabbatical, and this is actually my last Sunday that I will be here um, for the next three months. And so a sabbatical um, means what I, what I will be doing is taking a Sabbath rest, a personal and spiritual um, time of growth and refreshing um, yeah, time for me to connect with God in, you know, in a devoted way that, that, um, yeah, and, and a focused way. Um, during, during the three months that I'm away, um, I'll be taking a seminary course through our MB seminary. Um, and it, the topic of it is Old Testament leadership. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, it's the first graduate-level course that I will be taking, and so I'm a little bit nervous about that, but also excited about that. Um, I'll be spending some time at an Ignatian Retreat Center in Guelph, um, meeting with a spiritual advisor, and taking time to, um, yeah, just refresh myself again on how to practice spiritual disciplines and connect with God again in a, a very focused way. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this time. But at the same time, similar to um, comments that I have heard from a lot of you, texts I've gotten, emails, um, comments in conversation, I will miss you very much. Um, for the past almost 11 years now, I have been here with you, um, yeah, almost daily, um, and very much you have been a part of my life. And um, I've said this often before, I was born into this church, I grew up here, and um, yeah, I've used this phrase. When I was in South Africa, the word Ubuntu was a, a phrase, a word and a phrase that I learned that speaks of, well, it means I am because we are, and it speaks of the reality of how we are shaped by community and we also shape our community. And so that has been my experience with you and in you and amongst you um, very much. And so the idea of taking three months away, um, as much as I look forward to what God will say and do in me, I also um, know that I will miss you very much, and my heart and my prayers will be with you, and I invite your prayers to be with me as well. And so I welcome your prayers. And during my time away, um, I will take time to give you updates on what God has been doing and what I've been learning. And I very much look forward to being back in May and continuing the journey together of seeing where God is calling us and where he is leading us and what it means for us to continue to walk in faithfulness as his people. So um, I'll still be here this week, during the week, but this is my last Sunday here, so when you don't see me here next Sunday, don't be alarmed. This was part of the plan, and know that I will be praying for you and will be here with you in spirit. Um, yeah, Sarah's going to come up right now. Let's pray together.
Lord God, thank you for the gifts that are embodied in Sabrina that are gifts to us. And we pray for her now as she enters into this gift of a sabbatical, that there would be deep, deep rest, deep, deep sleep, time to reflect, time to hear both herself and you, and then times of entering into different kinds of community at a retreat center, in class, where she can experience different people who think differently, who see you in ways that help her see you in a, a greater, grander way. Lord, I, I pray for her own confidence in knowing that you travel into this time with her. And we know, Lord, she can conquer any graduate class you give her, We also know that she is a learner. I pray, Father, that you will give her soul and her heart and her mind new things to ponder, new things to learn. I also pray you would protect her, keep her strong and healthy. And, Lord, may she come back to us renewed, able to bring new information, new ideas to us but also be able to re-enter into our family, ready to receive and give again from a, a new place of restoration and strength. And so we pray all these things, Father, who is Sabrina's creator, all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who is her savior, and all these things in the name of your spirit, who is her counselor. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, so for the past two weeks, we've been looking at the words and teachings of James. As Pastor Rob explained, it is widely believed that James, the James who wrote this letter, was the half-brother of Jesus, which, I'm not going to lie, I find that completely fascinating. As someone who loves getting to know people and hearing their stories, I have so many questions that I would love to ask James about this. What was it like growing up with Jesus, playing together the way that siblings do? Who do you think won the wrestling matches? (laughs) Along with their other siblings, James and Jesus likely spent those key formative and life-shaping years together, sharing everyday life in the small town of Nazareth. As siblings do, I'm sure James knew his brother, the living, breathing Jesus, as well as anyone on earth ever knew him. He had been a first-hand participant and witness to seeing Jesus grow and learn and live his life. One thing that I find interesting about the book of James is the clear connections between the words of Jesus and the words of James that we don't see in quite the same way in the letters written by the other apostles. And I can't help but think that maybe this has to do with that sibling connection. We all have had different experiences with our siblings, some good, some not as good. But I'm sure that I'm not the only one who has had people point out how similar I am to one of my siblings. For all of the children who are still in here, Um, 
Yeah, if, if you have a brother or sister and they're sitting anywhere near you, I see a lot of siblings in here. Take a look at them. Do people ever tell you that you're like them? Do you agree? Do you think that you are like your brother or sister? Um, when I spend time with my older brother's children, my nieces and nephew, how similar my brother and I are has become a bit of a running joke. They always say things like, Tanabina, that's exactly what my dad would say right now. Um, the book of James is full of teaching and truth regarding what it means for our lives for us to live our lives for Jesus. James had seen how Jesus lived in love and truth that pushed the boundaries of the law as they knew it, but showed God's true intention. And in his letter to the scattered Christians, in words that very much echo the voice of his brother, he gives them a sort of practical guide on how to live out their faith. He writes that what you do matters— How you understand who you are and your circumstances matters. How you treat the stranger in your midst and those who are less fortunate than you matters. The words that you say and the thoughts of your heart matter. Every part of how you live and move in this world matters. And it's important to remember that they matter not because they earn us the salvation that Jesus freely gives, But because as his followers, Jesus lives inside of us. And as his followers, we learn from him and walk in his ways through his power and strength. True belief and surrender to Jesus results in a life-changing response. To obeying his commands and truly following in his ways. Jesus changes everything about how we understand ourselves, this world, and the way that we live in it. When we give our lives to Jesus, it shifts our priorities because we're no longer only living for the here and now, for ease of life and the pleasures of this world. How do we actually do this, though? How do we live in this world without getting caught up in the concerns and things of this world? James gives very real and practical examples of how to do this. And where does he start? In his Christianity 101, he starts by telling us life is hard sometimes. He jumps right into the thick of it. He doesn't beat around the bush. And I don't think that anyone sitting here will disagree with him, will we? Life is hard sometimes. We know that we live in a world broken by sin. And even though giving our lives to Jesus changes the hold that sin has on us, We are forgiven and made whole through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We aren't exempt from the impact of sin in this world. We go through hard things, losing someone we love, not getting that dream job that we applied for or being laid off, getting a medical diagnosis that changes our life forever. We go through hard things. And if that's you right now, please know that God isn't punishing you and he hasn't failed you. He isn't abandoning you. As Christians, we sometimes think that if God really loved us, we wouldn't experience hard things. Or if we do have to experience hard things, we think that at least God will make it work out in the end. But we know because our experience and reality is that we don't 
always get a happy ending this side of heaven. And this is what James starts with. You're going to go through hard things. And those hard things are going to test your faith. But push through. Persevere. Let that testing of your faith make you strong and mature and complete. And it's interesting that the strength and maturity of our faith doesn't come in spite of the hard things we go through, as though somehow they're separate. Over here is our faith and our relationship with Jesus and our spiritual life, and over here is our physical life and reality, the things we go through in our daily life, both the good things and the hard, and they're separate and kind of going on parallel paths but not connecting. No, they're so interconnected. A strong and mature faith is what God can do in and through us when we bring those two together, when we push through and when we persevere through everything we go through. And James writes that God is with you. And if you don't know how to move forward, if you need help, ask him and he'll give you wisdom. Does anyone here need help? Ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. No judgment or side-eye. This doesn't mean that the hard thing you're going through will disappear. It means that God is with you, and he will give you wisdom to know how to push forward. He can give you a peace that passes all understanding. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. In case that all sounds kind of familiar, yes, we spoke about this two weeks ago when we looked at the first part of James chapter 1. It's important to go back over it because this is the context of our passage today. But as I was preparing, I really felt like there were some here who needed to hear this again. And so if you're sitting here and that's you, then please hear me. Do not lose heart. What you're going through is hard, and maybe it even feels impossible, but don't lose faith. God is with you. And if you look to him... He will do something beautiful in you as you push through and persevere. So James just finished saying that our faith can grow and mature as we go through this life, especially when going through trials, and that faith seeks God's wisdom during these times. Then James brings up an issue, a trial, if you will, that I think is just as relevant today as it was back then. Money. At the top of every survey done about people's greatest worries is money. Whether we have a lot or a little, studies show that money is a stressor for the majority of people in our society. Everybody, whether rich or poor, seems to think that if they could just have a little bit more, they could relax and finally be happy. Money gives people status and ease of life. Our world tells us that we should always be striving for more, for a bigger house and a fancier car, the newest technology, a better job so that we can go on an exotic vacation, that we should do whatever we need to in order to get ahead. 
And sadly, the misconception in our consumer-driven culture is that money equals security, money equals high status, that money equals happiness. And it's interesting that of all the trials that James could have chosen to start with, he chooses to speak about those who have a lot and those who have a little. James saw the temptation to base our security and our happiness on external things as a real problem because God's kingdom rules are different. In his kingdom, Jesus tells us that the last will be first and the first will be last. That if we have two coats and see someone who doesn't have a coat, we're to give them one of ours. Our lives aren't to be marked by money, the money we have, but by the love that we have received and in turn the love that we give. We are to love our neighbors and even our enemies with the same love that we have for ourselves. Think about that. (laughs) Jesus tells us it's when we visit the lonely or give water to the thirsty, when we care for the least and the lowest according to the world's rules, that we will be made great. Jesus taught us to love one another. What makes us great is not how much money we have. Jesus said, blessed are the poor, and James's words echo his brothers so closely. He says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. And he follows this by saying, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. What? What is James saying here? What does that mean? What he's saying is that even though our world tells us that how much money we have determines our value and the worth of our being, God tells us something different. He tells us that rich or poor, we are all equal in his kingdom. Maybe you're here this morning and you're used to being at the bottom of the ladder in our society. You haven't achieved any great success according to our culture. The thing is that as a child of God, you are loved, you are clothed in Christ, and you have everything to gain and so much to offer in God's kingdom. And one day you will stand before the throne of God lifted high, not because of money and great earthly achievements, but because you received God's love and mercy and you gave what you had to follow him. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. In the body of Christ, each part has an integral role to play in the health of the whole body. In this, in our community, in the body of Christ that is Scott Street, each member has an important role. And maybe you're thinking, but I'm not important. I'm not even really sure what it is I have to offer. That's not what scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that we belong to each other and that we need each other. That together we make up a body and in a body, in our physical bodies, we know that each part is important. Paul explains this in 1 Corinthians 12 by saying, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts Form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. 
Now, if a foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not do for that, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would, be the sense, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If, there were, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices in it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Whether you think you have value and worth or not, you are part of this community. And that means that we need each other, and you do have value and worth. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Maybe you're here this morning and you've got a lot of money and status in this world. You're kind of a big deal. James actually has a harder message for you because he says this won't last. Everything you've gained here, everything you're working towards and putting your time and energy into, it's going to pass. Every one of us will pass away like a wildflower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. So take pride in your humiliation. Don't let all that you have go to your head and make you think that you've earned some kind of special status through your money, efforts, and achievements, even if that's what the world tells you. The Apostle Paul talks about exactly this in Philippians 3. And he says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, he says, I have a lot going for me. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have even more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Benjamin, of the tribe of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Maybe these aren't the markers of success and status in our culture, but they were back then, and he had it all. He had all the boxes checked. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. 
I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this. (laughs) If anyone had obtained it, it would have been him. Or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The rich should take pride in their humiliation. Nothing but the beautiful, free gift of the love of God can earn our salvation and status in God's kingdom. The gospel is the great equalizer, bringing those who are low and poor according to the world up to a place of value and great worth, and bringing those who are rich and a big deal according to this world low, because none of those things can earn them their place before God. While the world tells us that money is important and our life should be spent in endless pursuit of it and what it gives us, ease of life, more stuff, status, and power, James is saying, no, not here, not in God's kingdom. He says, you're going to go through hard things, but persevere, push through, and you'll find that your faith will grow. If you lack wisdom and don't know how to move forward, ask God and he'll give it to you. He gives to all who ask. If you're not worth much in this world, that's not what gives you worth here. God is the one who determines your worth here, and he has lifted you high and called you his own. If you're rich and powerful in this world, that's a message for you too, because all of this will pass. Don't take pride in money and riches and the things they earn you in this world. These things can't earn you what truly matters. So humble yourself and see that true worth comes when your life is defined by God alone, his sacrifice and his love for you. So what does all of this mean for us? What does it mean for our everyday lives and interactions? I think one of the first questions we need to ask ourselves is what role have we allowed money to play in our lives? Have we allowed it to shape us? Are we like the majority of our culture clutched in its grips? Do we allow it to assign our worth and happiness, to spark our joy? (laughs) Do we use it to assign the worth of others? Maybe you're thinking, come on, of course I don't let money and stuff assign happiness and value and worth to myself or others. But don't scoff and brush it off so quickly. Where I've really noticed the invasiveness of our world's message in my life is when visiting other countries. If you've come to Haiti with me, then this won't be new to you because it's something that we talk about as we prepare to go. When we enter another country and culture, one of the questions that we're faced with is what actually makes someone rich and poor? Is it carpet and a soft bed, eating different foods at every meal, running water, electricity? Trust me, it can be a shock to our North American understanding of life when we see people living without all of these things. A dirt floor, a sleep mat on the ground, the same simple meal every day. And it's so easy for us to be tempted to feel sorry for people who don't have the things that we do, to be welcomed into someone's home and start crying because they're so poor. 
I'm not actually joking with that when I've actually seen it happen. So we go into and we go into what's known as a white savior complex when this happens. And we think that because I'm rich and they are poor, I will save them. And yes, according to the standards of this world, we are rich and they are poor. But in God's kingdom, this isn't what makes us rich or poor. And shame on us when we don't recognize that. Because we're all broken people living in a broken world. And what makes us rich isn't the stuff we have the carpet and the the soft mattress that we have. What makes us rich is that we're being made whole through the love of Jesus. I don't have more to offer this world and to others than my brothers and sisters in humble circumstances. In fact, I have a lot to learn from them, from seeing them not as poor and therefore in need of my help, but from seeing them as another human being with a story to share a story that can teach me something about God and his children. They are loved by God, just like I am loved by God. And both of our brokenness comes from our ability or our inability to receive that love. And James will go on to talk about our treatment of those in physical need. What I'm not saying here is that physical poverty isn't a problem. In fact, he says that true religion cares for the widows and the orphans and those who don't have enough. It fights to ensure the rights and care for others. But what I am saying is that physical poverty or our lack of physical poverty isn't what gives us worth or status in God's kingdom. And the question that I want to leave with you is, who does God say you are? Do you need to be lifted up right now and reminded that God has given you a high position? Or do you need him to bring you down, reminding you to put all of your trust in him? If you strip things back to just you and God, who does he say that you are? I think this is a a good message and thought to come to the communion table with because Jesus died for each and every one of us and we don't do anything to earn our place at his table. He died and he invites us to come and to receive that sacrifice and it, yeah, that alone makes us worthy. His invitation makes us worthy of coming to the table Who does God say you are? Bow with me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are the creator of this world and everything in it. We thank you that even though our experience in this world is one of brokenness, is the result of sin and our own human nature of turning away from you. God, we thank you that you went to the greatest lengths possible in order to show us just how great your love is and to invite us to come. And so, God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here this morning. I thank you that that you walk with us in the reality of this world, both the good things and the hard things. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are going through very hard things right now, who aren't sure how to move forward. God, I thank you that you don't abandon us in in our time of need, but that when we allow you to, you walk with us right beside us.
And God, sometimes it's hard for us to see you and know your presence. But God, I pray that our hearts would be open, that our eyes would see, our ears would hear you. And so God, I pray especially for those who need you, who aren't sure how to move forward. God, I pray that as they seek you, they will find you. I pray that you would give them wisdom. I pray that you would give them that peace that passes all understanding. And God, I thank you that you have placed us in your body, that we aren't in this on our own, but we have a community that you've placed us in. And God, I thank you that there is no one in this community who is higher or more important than the next. We all belong in this body, and we are all integral to the community. And so God, I pray that those in this community who feel like they maybe don't belong or don't have a place, God, I pray that you would show them what their role is. And God, I pray for those who think that maybe their role is more important than what it really is. I pray that you would bring us to a place where we can see, no, we are all just your children. And that isn't even a just. We are your children. And so, God, I pray that we would all take delight and take our status as your children. And I pray that this week, as we spend time with you, that we would ask you that question, who are we? Who do you say that we are? And, God, that we would actually take the time to hear from you, that we would ask you that question and allow you to show us who you have made us to be, who you call us. And, God, as we come to your table now, We pray that we would, as we reflect on the sacrifice that you've made for us, the love, the crazy love that you've shown for us, God, I pray that, that, yeah, that we would see again, see anew the way that you work. Yeah, in this world and in our lives and the way that you call us to follow you. So God, I thank you. listening. For any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.